Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. God of glory, majesty, King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we worship you, Lord. You alone are worthy of our praise, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord, in all of your majesty, and we thank you that in your mercy and in your grace that you come to us. that you are with us even in these moments. We thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us. Thank you for the presence of your spirit. Lord, would you be our teacher this morning? As we look into your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome. Wow, it's just been a powerful time this morning. <laughs> I'm still recovering from that whole Ukraine thing, to be honest. So, yeah, looking forward to this evening. Our, um, our preaching theme for this morning is, uh, or for this month rather, this month of, what, what month are we in? August? Just lost my way a little bit this morning. <laughs> is look out, and uh, it's an obvious theme in a way. With we had Tim Costello a couple of weeks ago, what a privilege that was, and uh, Wayne with us this morning just to hear the start of his message. Letitia Shelton next week. My goodness, there's a there's a there's a common theme, I guess, as we sort of saw all that coming. A common theme of lifting our eyes above our own local circumstances to recognise what God is doing across our, our city, across our nation, and, uh, and around the world. So uh, today's message hopefully is consistent with that. But uh, before we begin, just a quick word about Letitia as well for next week. You know, um, over the next six weeks, she'll be in four different countries, in 12 different cities, speaking more than 25 times. This is a woman, this is unbelievable. She's just um, in demand around the world at the moment. And uh, so we're blessed to have her here with us next week. Just encourage you women to get along on Thursday night. And uh, if you do, come along to Essence on Thursday night. I'm sure you'll be back again next Sunday, if you can be, to hear more of what Letitia has to say. She carries something, I believe, um, for our nation uh, at this time in particular. All right, this is um, Portuguese explorer Pedro Fernandes de Quiros. Cheery fellow, isn't he? <laughs> Giggles, they used to call him. <clears throat> <clears throat> no, that's not true. <laughs> well, I'll tell you who he is. 400 years ago, he was commissioned by the Pope to take the message of the gospel to the inhabitants 
of the unexplored South Sea Islands when he landed in Vanuatu, naming the island of Vanuatu Australia del Espiritu Santo. There on the day of Pentecost, 1606, so 416 years ago, he spoke of the spiritual destiny of Australia and prophetically claimed the region to the south, including all of Australasia, that whole region, and um, I know New Zealand doesn't quite get a, get a Guernsey in that picture, but um, <laughs> the other islands over that way as well, that whole region. He prophetically claimed them as the great south lands of the Holy Spirit. Now, many of you would have heard that story and be familiar with that designation of Australia, our nation, as the great south land of the Holy Spirit. Uh, for many years, we sang the song, didn't we? Remember that? With great faith and gusto and enthusiasm, this is the great south land There you go. It's a bit half-hearted by some of you. <clears throat> but I wonder what you think about that prophetic word today. Certainly as we cast our eye over the spiritual condition of our nation, I don't expect that too many of us would be saying that this prophetic word has come to pass now in our time. In fact, all the graphs produced by social and spiritual analysts in our nation indicate fairly dramatic spiritual decline. The great South land has largely turned away from the Holy Spirit and so the spiritual landscape looks pretty grim. The nation is rapidly, it would seem, careering down the pathway of paganism, increased paganism, agnosticism, people are turning their backs on God. And so did our Portuguese friend get it wrong? Might we look at that prophetic proclamation, the great south lands of the Holy Spirit, might we look at that now and think, well, nice try, Pedro. <laughs> but actually... You need to work on that whole prophetic gifting a little more because things haven't worked out as you expected. Well, not so fast. See, one of the things the Bible teaches us is that God is able to breathe life into dry bones. God is able to shine his light into very dark places. God's able to bring hope into situations that seem hopeless. And he's able to do that in your personal circumstances, which is what, often what we focus on. So, you know, if you're personally currently facing some circumstances that seem pretty bleak and hopeless, then be encouraged, as we would often say from this pulpit, to continue to put your hope in the Lord for your own personal circumstances. But let me say this morning, God is also able to do that on a national level. With nations, he specializes in hopeless situations. God hasn't given up on the Ukraine. It's pretty dark over there, but Wayne and his family have been sent there, along with many others, to shine a light of hope 
into that darkness. And let me suggest to you this morning that God has not finished with Australia either. Our reading this morning is from Isaiah, and in the time of Isaiah, the spiritual landscape of Israel was pretty grim. Overall, King Uzziah, not Isaiah, King Uzziah was a good king actually. He reigned for 52 years from about the age of 16. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. God gave him success and wealth. He was, uh, as we read in other parts of the scripture, if you read your background, he was victorious in battle. Uh, There was lots of development and construction going on in the nation. There was lots of uh, fresh produce. This was a land that was producing under the grace and the mercy of God, producing wonderful fresh produce. But for King Uzziah, over time, and this can so easily happen, all that success and prosperity began to go to his head. And he lost his way, and the people lost their way, and they became arrogant and self-sufficient and rebellious against God. And so in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4, paints a grim picture. Uh, Isaiah prophesies in this way. He says, Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. So at that time, we understand Israel as a nation had lost sight of their God-given place, if you like. They'd lost sight of their God-given destiny, the fact that they were God's chosen people. They were caught up in their own prosperity. Perhaps very much like the nation of Australia. And the context of our reading is that the king has just died. This great and powerful king who uh, was a good king, lost his way. Got leprosy in the end and that finished him off, but he lost his way. This great and powerful king who had given them national leadership and stability and direction. He's gone actually now. And suddenly there's other nations, other surrounding powerful nations like Assyria, which is... um, uh, modern-day northern Iraq, if you know your geography. Nations like Assyria are now snooping around in a very frightening and menacing way around the nation. Wayne knows a lot about that. Chapter 5 of Isaiah is a pretty depressing prophetic word about lots of woes and judgment. And then we come to our reading in chapter 6, which will be familiar, but it's interesting to think back to that, the context of this reading. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is, this is Isaiah, the prophet speaking, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, With two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs, (laughs) tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. What we see in this passage is a, a flow of thought, a progression, if you like, of one thing that leads to another in the unfolding plan of Isaiah's life, God's plan for Isaiah's life. And it's a flow that has national application for Israel and perhaps for Australia as well. Let me put that to you this morning. Here it is. Encounter, which then leads to brokenness, which then leads to atonement, which then leads to surrender. Encounter with God leads Isaiah to an understanding of his own brokenness, which then leads to atonement or cleansing, which then leads immediately for Isaiah to a place of complete and utter surrender. So let's uh, just walk our way through that progression of thought this morning. Isaiah's vision of God, first of all, his encounter with God is spectacular and life-changing. And it's good for us to just try, if we can, to get a handle on the magnitude of this vision. The vision is of the temple, presumably the temple of Solomon in Jerusalem, which was a a pretty grand and uh, imposing structure in and of itself, as I would have been very familiar with the temple. But the vision was of the Lord God Almighty himself seated above the temple. So picture the temple, you've got to use your imagination for this, picture the temple, but then you've got God himself seated above the temple, and the train of his robe, possibly also translated as the hem of his garment. So think of the hem on your uh, trousers, that little, or a skirt or whatever you're wearing, there's probably a hem on your garment somewhere, that little bit that's folded and sewn up. In the vision, the hem of the garment of God filled that whole expansive space of the temple, the hem. So how big was that throne above the temple that Isaiah saw? And how big was the God who was seated on that throne above the temple? Try and get a a handle on the the magnitude of this thing. must have been just an awe-inspiring, if not terrifying, vision of God in all his grandeur. Words fail to describe the sheer magnitude of this vision of the temple and God seated on a throne above the temple. Now, if that was not enough of a sensory overload for Isaiah, above this figure of God, way above, probably way in the distance above, you've got all manner of creatures flying about. You can kind of imagine them in the distance kind of all swirling around, all calling out, Holy, holy, holy. 
is the Lord. God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the whole scene causes the doorpost to shake. There's smoke that fills the whole place. It's loud. It's a terrifying encounter. With God himself, the Holy One. I tried to find a picture or a painting or something. Nothing I could find did any justice to this scene. But what Isaiah sees is like a little window into the reality of who God is. What he sees is reality. The reality that's shielded from us most of the time, if not all the time. It's like a little glimpse, that's all it is, into something that's beyond human comprehension. Something that's been a reality since before the creation of the world. This God. It's just awesome. And Isaiah's given a spectacular sneak preview into a reality that waits us all, actually. Isaiah has an encounter with God. That's his step one. Now, I've never had an encounter quite like that. But I tell you, many times in my life, I've sensed the presence of the Lord and the nearness of the Holy God in ways that for me have been undeniable. Nothing quite like that, but nevertheless undeniable. I'll give you a couple of examples. Just recently, just over a week ago, I was at the Governor's Prayer Breakfast at the Crown Complex. There's a venue of great spiritual darkness, actually. I'll tell you what, the light of God was shining in that place. At that breakfast, 1,400 people, I think it was, gathered in the grand ballroom for a prayer event. And as Graham Mabry spoke, there was this tangible sense of the presence of God. I don't know if I can describe it. Now, with all due respect, that has little to do with Graham. I think he would absolutely agree. It has something to do with Graham, actually but little to do with Graham and everything to do with God. Graham was bathed in prayer for hours before the event. God was honoured in the whole event. And there were numbers of people who had an encounter with God that morning. I spoke with a number of them afterwards. I had people come to me and say, you know, I'm not, I'm not normally a churchgoer, I'm not really a believer, but what was that? So can, I, can, can you arrange for me to talk to Graham? I said, yep, come with me, follow me. They couldn't put it into words, but they had an encounter with God. Last Sunday morning I was speaking at Kubalup Community Church. Not Thornley, Kubalup, remember them? <laughs> this was great, it was great to be there. Michael Christie, what a great guy. It's a full house, there's a great sense of joy and expectation in the room, it's such a great morning. 
After the service, a lady came to me and... Now, this is someone I've known for many, many years, actually. She's originally from Mount Pleasant here. And uh, I trust her discernment. She said to me, you know, Nick, good for you to know, as you were preaching, there was an angel... There was an angel standing right behind you the whole time you preached. And she said it was huge, a huge angel. And she said to me, it was sent to protect you and to guard your word because this was a message that carried authority from heaven. Now, I don't see those things, but I believe her. And I believe that God is able to give her and others, all of us actually in different ways, glimpses of what is going on all around us all the time in the spiritual realm that we can't see. Maybe some of you have that gift. But that lady had an encounter with God. In a sense, we all had an encounter with God last Sunday at Kubla. You know, God, in all his glory, all his majesty, (laughs) is present here this morning. He's with us in ways we can't necessarily see. If you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, I've never had an encounter with God, you know, my encouragement to you would be to seek out such an encounter, that you search for it, that you pursue it. Pursue him with all your heart. You know, Jeremiah 29, 13, the Lord says, You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I'll be found by you. It's a promise. Why don't you take him at his word and do just that? Why don't you put aside your cynicism, your doubt, your unbelief, and actively pursue an encounter and a relationship with the living God. But as you do, just understand that an encounter with God, a genuine encounter with God, has consequences. (laughs) And the first of those as we move through this flow of thought is a deep and disturbing awareness of your own brokenness, your own fallenness, your own complete incapacity and unworthiness to even be in the presence of God's holiness. That's a normal and natural response to the holiness of God and an encounter with him. Isaiah has just pronounced a prophetic flood of woes over Israel in chapter 5. Woe to you, Israel, Judah, 
eating and drinking and celebrating. Woe to you, getting on with your lives with no regard for God or his ways. Woe to you, you've rejected the law of the Lord Almighty. Woe to you, you people who just carry on as if God doesn't exist. And then here he is now faced with a powerful personal encounter with the living God. And what does he say? Woe to me. Woe to me, actually. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You know, in our journey of faith toward greater maturity, we need to clearly understand the, the uncrossable chasm between where God is in his holiness and perfection and where I am in my brokenness and hopelessness. I can't bridge that gap. No matter how hard I try, as long as I think that I can ultimately solve my own problems and sort out my own life with a little help from God, of course, then I'm living in a world where I am sovereign and God is my servant. It's not reality. We've not really had an encounter with God, if we believe that. And you know, with our emphasis on a personal relationship with God, which is, which is a right emphasis, don't get me wrong, but with that emphasis there comes the danger that we begin to create God in our own image. We begin to see him as like us, but just a little bit bigger. And so therefore we all too easily become entitled as though God's lucky to have me on his team, actually. He's lucky to have us with him. And because I've served him faithfully for many, many years, well, actually, he owes me a few favors now. We are not understanding reality when we get to that place. We've lost perspective of reality, of who God is. It's when we need a revelation of an encounter with God. Well, God confronts Isaiah with reality and in so doing brings him to the end of his resources. Woe to me, I am undone, says Isaiah. It's at that point that God says, right, you are undone. Now I have something to work with. And in a beautiful personal act of atonement, God touches Isaiah. He says, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. It's a beautiful foreshadowing of the cross of Christ. You know, it's the blood of Jesus that brings us atonement, that purifies us from our sin, that bridges that uncrossable chasm between us and God, that reconciles us. We can't bridge that gap with our own efforts. We're ruined. But God himself bridges the gap. He comes to us in Christ. Well, what an exhausting roller coaster experience this is for Isaiah. He's going to need a Panadol and a good lie down. The encounter with God, the revelation of his own brokenness, this miraculous intervention of God to bring atonement, the encounter with the angel, this whole work of bringing him into right relationship with God. What's an appropriate response to all of that? Well, then at the end of the vision, there's this roar from heaven the voice of the lord himself whom shall i send and who will go for us well there's only one real response 
and that is complete and utter surrender. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Pick me. Pick me. Here am I. Send me. Well, it's a tough gig for Isaiah because don't forget the spiritual landscape around him hasn't changed. He's changed now. He's been changed by God. The people around him haven't changed. People are a long way from God. They're preoccupied with their lives. They're busy chasing wealth and pleasure and self-gratification. Another holiday, another cruise, another boat, another car. (laughs) Sound familiar? They're not interested in Isaiah's message. And in fact, the message will have the effect of callousing their hearts and dulling their hearing and closing their eyes. This is what God tells Isaiah. This is what will happen. People won't listen. Now and then I hear preachers say, the best is yet to come. (laughs) And I think, you know, well, there's truth in that. Of course there's truth in that. Eternally there's truth in that. When I hear preachers say that, sometimes I think, Have you read Isaiah? (laughs) Isaiah's God-given message is, in essence, things are going to get a whole lot worse. The best is not yet to come around the corner. Things are going to get worse. But then at the end of this chapter, he uses the language of a dead tree stump because, you see, there's good news. There's hope, if we can go back to that last picture. Isaiah 11.1 from the message says this. A green shoot will sprout from Jesse's stump, from his roots a budding branch. The life-giving Spirit of God will hover over him, the Spirit that brings wisdom and understanding, the spirit that gives direction and builds strength, the spirit that instills knowledge and the fear of God. That life-giving spirit is here this morning. Jesus. It's the spirit of Jesus. That's what that green shoot is. Jesus himself is that green shoot, the hope of the world, the hope of Australia. When all seems lost, there is hope. If we go back to the vision of Isaiah, the seraphim are the highest order of the angelic realm. And you know, what they see is reality. They see things as they are. And their declaration, don't forget, is that the whole earth is full of the glory of God. That's what they see as reality. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. Is this the great Southland of the Holy Spirit? Well, in faith we declare that it is. Our nation is full of the glory of God. Not all will see it, by the way. Many will never see it. Will you see it?
I was praying this morning and I was just looking at that image of that kid, actually, on the bridge. And I thought there's something in that image for us. Because the world's, if you can imagine that scene, the world's going by, there's probably traffic going back and forth on the bridge. That lad has stopped to look at something. We need to pause long enough to see the glory of God. We need to pause long enough to have an encounter with God, to seek after it, to stop while the rest of the traffic goes past and life continues on around us. We need to pause. Things may appear to be grim, but there's a green shoot of the presence of Jesus in the people of God, people of faith, hope and love, people called to be salt and light in that grim landscape around us there's hope to breathe life into the dry bones so if you're a follower of Jesus then rest assured that God calls you he sends you to be a carrier of the gospel message what's your response here am I send me let's pray Father, as we reflect this morning on Isaiah's experience of a powerful encounter with the living God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that across the bleak landscape, spiritual landscape of our nation today, that you, Lord Jesus, our Lord, you are that green shoot of hope. You are the light in the darkness. You are the one who was able to breathe life into dry bones. You are the one who wants to encounter your people this morning. And so we would make a declaration together this morning that there's power in the name of Jesus and we put our trust in you, we put our hope in you, we look to you as the one who can bring transformation and hope and light not only to our personal circumstances but to our nation and to the nations, to the nation of the Ukraine. Oh, Lord, fill us with faith this morning and reignite the spark that perhaps has grown a little dim. Would you encounter us? Would you meet us where we're at this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.